So just with with all that in mind, um, let's look in the book of Acts. We'll start at the end of chapter 2, if you want to join in a little bit. Ever ever since... uh, Ever since right after Easter, you know, kind of picked up with the uh, ascension and uh, kind of stuck with the timeline a little bit, just kind of going chronologically through uh, the story of, of Jesus and then the handoff and the empowerment to the people, to the church, and what what life was like in those like very first formative uh, days and weeks and months of God's people, and this this is our history right here as Christians. Um, these are these are people that we're gonna like want to meet on the new earth. You know, like these are uh, these are our folks we're, we're gonna want to we're gonna get to one day sit down and be like, okay, what I know what Luke wrote in Acts. Tell me what it was real. Tell me what it was like in your own words. Uh, that these are. These are the the brothers and sisters whose shoulders we stand on, and uh, to to see what God uh, has done uh, in in their midst and and all the ways that they were being raised up is uh, is just quite a, a privilege. And so um, I'm going to warn you: we're going to read a lot of a lot of Bible today, uh, especially in the next couple of minutes. Um, so I want to look at start at the end of chapter two to kind of get our us refreshed a little bit. We'll go all the way through three and even into four. Yikes. Lots of verses. It'll be okay. Um, so starting starting in verse 42 of chapter 2, this is what we covered last week. Um, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let me hit pause right there just for a second. This this paragraph, uh, Luke has interviewed all these all these people, and this is his summary. Like the Spirit has led him to summarize what life was like among the earliest Christians in this way. And when it says in verse forty two that that they devoted themselves to these four things to the to the the, the scriptures. Um, which would essentially be the teachings of Jesus and the Old Testament. They were devoted to, to the scriptures. They were devoted to the fellowship, which would have been the, the common life that they shared together. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, which would mean uh, both communion when they were together and the meal. And like They shared meals together. They literally sat around and had dinner. But communion was a part of that for them. Um, and they were devoted to, to prayer. And so it was this community, and when you think about those four things, uh, that is what the apostles trained the new Christians to devote themselves to. This is the earliest model of discipleship. So you have you ha- you go from the 120 in the upper room who, who are praying, the 120 who had been with Jesus, 
they get filled with the Spirit. They go out and, and they begin to proclaim the gospel and all these people are saved. And so you have about 3,000 people. And what the 120 trained the 3,000 to do was to devote themselves to these four things. And it surfaces in these things, of, in, these, in generosity and, and togetherness and, uh, and miracles and like all this boldness. Like this whole description is because they devoted themselves to these four things. And so um, if you want to know like, what are, what are going to be the basics of everything that we do as a church, it's going to come down to this stuff. That's why. That's why this verse has been used so much in, in the history of Living Hope Fellowship is because, well, if that's what the if that's what the apostles trained the new believers to do, then I mean, who are we to come up with a better four things, you know? And so that uh, describes what life was like. Then chapter three um, gets into there's a really specific story and then another sermon explanation. So let's let's look at chapter three. Um, starting in verse one it says, "Now Peter and John were going up to the temple." At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is like three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, and a man uh, lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Now while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets... That his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, quote, 
The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. End quote. <laughs> and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay. So, um, there's a, there's a, a, like, overarching pattern that we see. This is the second time it's happened. It will continue to happen throughout the book of Acts. Here's, here's how it works. First thing, God does something really stunning. And then, uh, Peter, or one of the leaders, explains what's happening and points everybody to Jesus. And then people get saved. And they get assimilated into the community. That's the, that's the pattern. God does something amazing. Someone gets up and explains it and points people to Jesus. And people get saved and become a part of the church. That's the, that's the pattern. And you know the pattern really isn't any different for us today. Like um, it, it's, it's this, the same kind of thing that is happening. Um, it is really like your life summary could be, could be in the same thing. That God did something stunning in your life that you maybe didn't really understand. Someone helped you recognize like, oh, that's Jesus doing that. And you got saved and you became a part of, of the community. And so this rhythm that we see in the book of Acts is something that, that God does over and over and over again in all of our lives and throughout the church. And it's really, it's really quite remarkable. Um, you see Peter do the same thing here that he did in the last chapter where he's referencing uh, the prophets and he's referencing Moses and he's connecting with them on their level. And so there's a whole thing about evangelism that we can talk about there that we're not going to talk about today. But, but in terms of, of explaining, he doesn't, he doesn't like pull, pull all these obscure references he's like no you need to understand what's happening let me speak your language and he does that and it's 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 beautiful but it's the same thing that we've seen happen and you'll continue to see it if you keep reading the book of acts um this is you know in acts 1 8 uh, jesus says you're gonna you're gonna receive power when my spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth so this is the jerusalem part this is what, what keeps happening over and over again. Um, so I want to like kind of kind of have that kind of bird's eye that's going on, but I want to like dive more deeply into the into the healing part of the story. Um, so let's look again. I know I just read a lot, so I'm going to recap. Let's start in, in chapter three, starting in verse one. Just the the healing of the beggar. Um, it says now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That's called the beautiful gate. So he asked alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. Uh, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
took him by the right hand, raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Okay, so um, this story should sound really familiar because we saw Jesus do it all throughout the Gospels. And they had seen Jesus do it throughout the Gospels. Uh, this is this is the continuation of Jesus's ministry, um, and I want to just—I really want to zero in on verse six because I feel like that verse. Um, I feel like like there's something for us today, and I kind of break it down in my head. He says. I don't have silver and gold. What I do have, I give to you. Kind of like kind of two, two halves. Uh, this is what I don't have, and this is what I do have. Um, I want to start with, with what, I, what I do have. Um, and, I, and I would summarize of saying what, what Peter was saying. Here's, here's what I have for you. I would summarize that as the word faith. The faith is what he has for him. And the reason why I choose faith is because that's what Peter chose. In summarizing it, and so uh, who knows better than the, the man himself? So uh, let me read to you verse sixteen. As as he's explaining what's happened, you know, he's like, "Why are you so shocked that this guy is like has been healed? It's not like we did it." Uh, verse says, verse sixteen says, "In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given them." the man, this perfect health in the presence of you all. So it's, it's, it's faith. That's what, that's what has healed this man's faith. So when Peter says, well, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, uh, I'll, I'll give to you. And he says, what I do have is faith. And so, um, one way to think of it is like, um, you know, here, here they are. They've, they've seen Jesus do this a bunch. um, They've gotten to experience some of it themselves uh, while Jesus was with them. Now that Jesus has ascended to heaven, the Spirit has come. Now they, they know, like, okay, there's a, there's a power and authority that we walk in now. Jesus said that we would do the same things that he did, actually greater things. So uh, this must be what he's talking about. Uh, we know exactly what to do. The guy's asking for alms, which uh, it's not just money. It's, it's any, any, any sort of charitable donation to someone. So he could have been asking, he could have gotten money. He could have gotten a sandwich. I don't know if they eat sandwiches, but uh, a bottle of water probably didn't have, you know what I'm saying? Like anything that would have helped him, uh, that would have been then categorized as alms. And so he was just hoping to get something from them. And they're like, I got faith. Because I've seen Jesus heal situations like yours before, and so um, they'd seen it a bunch of times. They knew that His power lived in them. They knew exactly what to do, and they fully believed that the power of God was present to help heal this man. That that was the faith. That was the trust uh, that God is not God is not going to like ghost on us in this moment. That God is going to be fully present in this moment. Um, so, in other words, He's saying uh, He's like, I don't have money, but I do have faith. And every bit of my faith, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use for your good. Everything I have is gonna be for your good in this moment. Um, and I, th- I found there, that to be a beautiful thing. Um, just that that he's like, well, uh, everything I have, I'm gonna use for you. That I have enough faith to know that I don't I don't have to hoard this. You know, I don't have to keep it to myself. I don't have to. To worry about faith being like a scarcity at some point, I, I'll, I'll give you everything I have. 
And it's my trust that God wants to do something. And, uh, but I want to point something out. And here's a part of what I think God has this today is that it's not the faith of the beggar. It's the faith of the apostles. He doesn't say this man had this, this beggar had tremendous faith and that's why God healed him. That's not his explanation. His explanation is our faith in Jesus, that God acted on our faith to heal this man. Um, we see this in Jesus' ministry as well. Let me, let me, let me read you three, three verses that you don't need to turn to. Here's three, of, three other times when we see this, and there, there are others. In Matthew 15, 28, there's a Canaanite woman. She has a, uh, her daughter's possessed by a demon. This is what Jesus tells her in verse 28. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The daughter needed to be healed. He wasn't like, well, if your daughter just believed a little bit more, then I could probably do something, but I can't. He saw the mom's faith and healed the daughter. Luke 7, verse 9, there's a centurion, has a servant who's sick. Verse 9 says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at the centurion and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you the truth, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And the man was, and the servant was healed. He wasn't like, "Sorry, your servant. He needs to be here. And pre- he needs to come. I can't do anything long distance. It doesn't really work. There's no teleportation of my healing. It doesn't really work that way." He's like, "Oh, the centurion has faith. That's I, I'm, I'm good with that." Um, John four verse fifty. There's a, an official of some point. Somebody that's official in some way. Um, there's a son who's sick. Verse fifty. Jesus says, uh, "Go. Your son will live." Says so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So, so we see this in, in Jesus' ministry, and we see it here in the ministry of the church that uh, that God is moving based on faith, whether that's directly, that's like the person standing in front of you, the person who needs whatever it is that that you're asking from God, or if it's someone asking on behalf of that person. And I think that sometimes we, you know, we, we get hung up and we're, maybe we're praying for, uh, praying for someone, praying, uh, praying for deliverance from addiction or uh, restoration of a relationship or um, there's just there's a, a number of things. And it's very easy to forget that God is listening to our faith as we pray. That we should pray for that person, to, for their faith to awaken and for them to, to know the power of Jesus in that moment. But that's not, the only th- that's not the only thing God is paying attention to. That's not the only thing that God is, is blessed by. He's also blessed by our own faith, asking on their behalf. And so there we see scriptural evidence that whether it's the, the person who has the need or the advocate, God is responding to the, to the faith that's in action in that moment. And so I was thinking about that, and really, this is, it's a very simple encouragement to not get discouraged as you pray for people, and to not get bogged down in, in what's happening with the person who you're praying for, but to know that God, God is listening to your own faith. And there are times when God moves, moves based on what you're asking because of your deep belief, uh, not necessarily on theirs. So yeah, pray for them to awaken, but also know that, that your prayers are, are not just uh, falling flat simply because that person you're praying for is not responding in the way that you hope that they do. So for us as advocates and as intercessors, uh, to know that God is directly and indirectly like, like looking at the faith that's present in the different things that we're praying for. Um, so 
<clears throat> so Peter and John, does that make sense? Am I, I'm okay? Okay. Uh, it's one of the things I miss about, about like the congregation is like, you can feel when the whole room is like, huh? Like kind of does like a dog, like turns their head like that. You can kind of, I can kind of feel it. And I'm, I, haven't, I haven't felt that in a while. So I'm, I gotta get my chops back. Um, so, so Peter and John are, are, are in this moment. They, this, this man is asking for charity and they say, we, we really, all we have to give you is our faith, but you can, you can have it all. Um, and we have faith to believe that God wants you to, to heal you enough to have the boldness to say, stand up. You know, who, who says that in this situation? Well, people full of faith say that in this situation. And so, so God does this miraculous thing. This, this man who had, who had begged every day at that gate, he was a known part of the community, um, stands up and begins to leap and, and to, to praise the Lord. And it's just this inc- incredible, just this incredible scene. Um, they were, you think about it, they were on their way to meet everybody for prayer. It says they were on their, on their way to, to pray because it was the hour of prayer. So they had an agenda, you know, like they were like on their way and they weren't like, well, everybody's kind of waiting on us. Mm. Not a lot of time to like mess up the routine. Uh, they were on their way to prayer. They sensed an opportunity and they followed the spirit into it. It's, it's a beautiful moment. Um, so that's, that's what they did. That's what they did have. Now let's talk about what they, what they didn't have, which, is, which I would sum up as money. It didn't have any silver. It didn't have any gold. Uh, and as it says in verse six, and this is like, this is where this is, I'm going to do what they told us not to do in seminary. I'm going to just speculate a little bit. Uh, because there's no way there's no way for me to know anything I'm about to say being true. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Don't tell my professors; they'll re- revoke my degree. Um, I wonder what would have happened if they did have money on them. You know, like if they had been walking in, they're on their way to meet everyone for prayer. He's asking for something, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I got I got some silver. I got a little gold." Uh, I got a sandwich. I got a bottle of water. I got what you know. Here you go, and, and, and keep going. Um, what what would have happened? And you could you can like butterfly effect this thing. You know, what I'm talking about where like uh, you can you can work your way backwards, and you're like, well, they they didn't have any money. They healed him, led to this big sermon, then all these people get saved. The number in, number of men increases to five thousand. So you're probably talking ten ten thousand people at this point. In, in the church, uh, and you can like you can overstate and be like, well, none of those people would have been saved if they hadn't. Yeah. I'm not saying all that because I, I don't think that's there's really that's pointless, fruitless. Um, that that's not why why I ask it. And I also don't don't think I'm not trying to imply that like giving someone money, giving someone a sandwich, a bottle of water, those kind of things that that's like not what we should be doing. Um, I think that there are that's great and it needs to happen and. Um, but my, I, I'm asking, I'm kind of thinking about it from a different angle. Uh, like, let me state it a different way. Is, is part of why we maybe don't see God moving in the ways that we want to, like, uh, and maybe we miss it a lot, is it because we do have silver and gold now, you know? Like so much, like Jesus' whole ministry was done in the midst of poverty, you know, for the most part. Um, the early church, there were there were those who were wealthy, but they started selling all their stuff, and so they eventually got to where there's not a lot of stuff, you know. 
Um, I wonder how much money um, maybe keeps us from sensing, hey, there's an opportunity here. Hey, there, God's at work here. Uh, and because money... Like having money, I'm not saying that everyone is rich or anything like that. I'm more thinking about like like in America, our nation is affluent. Like globally, we're like skyrocketed among so many. Um, our our nation, our, our our culture, our our whole worldview just kind of has this like uh, affluence to it that leads to being very just kind of comfortable and safe. And and by safe, I mean like low risk. You know, like. Um, and I wonder how much of that keeps us from maybe being as like tuned in as we're going about our lives. You know, um, you think about the, the the Good Samaritan story, which is uh, the subtext of that story is one hundred percent against like racism. By the way, um, and so th- it's easy to kind of miss out on that. But it would have been a very controversial story that Jesus told. But as he's, he's telling it, it's it's these people who are they're hurried, you know. They have somewhere to be. They're they're important. You know, they whatever you want to think about it. Here they are, too busy to help this person who is hurting. Here comes the Samaritan who's willing to interrupt his rhythms in order to give aid to this this man who has been robbed and beaten up. Uh, I just kept just stewing in this idea that that perhaps the fact that now that we have silver and gold which allows us to kind of be comfortable and and usually ends up to us being kind of stressed and kind of in a hurry and 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 how e- how easy it is to just kind of put blinders on and go through your day and to maybe miss opportunities like this because our the pace of our lives and the focus of our lives and the chaos uh doesn't really leave space for these kinds of things um and I don't know. There's just something beautiful about how unhurried and how present they were in this moment. And it's very unfair for me to say, like, if they didn't have money, they wouldn't have stopped. I don't, they, they probably would have done both, you know. Uh, I think that's a part, of the, a part of, of the what needs to be happening is that we need to give alms to people and we need to give Jesus to people, you know. Like you, there, there, there is a tendency among Americans, uh, especially American Christians, and uh, it's un- unfair to paint the whole country with a brush. But I'm going to do it. You know, what are they, they going to do? Pull us on YouTube? Probably. Um, they. It's very easy to 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 throw money at something, and you kind of check that box in your, you know, and you go about your time, and you're like, well, I'm. There are people who are going to be boots on the ground with that particular cause, and I'm I'm just going to fund it, and I'm going to stay over here. Um, and so we either give money and know Jesus, or no money and know Jesus. Uh, they're doing the opposite. They're giving they're giving no money, but lots of Jesus. What if we gave money and Jesus? You know, like what if what if that was the goal? If you have money, give it. Don't give it. Whatever. But but there needs to be that Jesus part of it, that faith part of it. Um, and so here, here we are as, as a church, like we're, we're wanting to engage our world. Uh, what we can't do is fall into the trap that a lot of American churches have fallen into, not all, but a lot, 
where you're like, okay, um, in, in seminary they called it the like field of dreams approach to church, where it's like, if we build it, they will come. So we'll build a nice big building, and we'll build a nice children's ministry wing, and we'll get a climbing wall in the youth room, and all the video game stuff set up, and we'll have... We'll have it. We'll have. We'll build this like mecca, you know, this like heaven on earth type thing, and then open the doors and they'll come walking out of the cornfield. I guess I don't. I don't really know. Um, we've never seen Field of Dreams. That made no sense. But um, but that was the that was the is has been the mindset of like no, we just need to like build the right kind of facility and have the right kind of service like church service and programming. And that is what, like, people will just, they'll just come to it. And what we have proven over and over and over again is it does not work. It does not happen. There are people who are, who, some, some will come, but uh, that has not been the, uh, that's not what the Great Commission says. Great Commission says to, to go. Now, buildings, buildings are not inherently evil. Budgets are not, budgets are great. Like, all those things are, are to be doors to ministry. And so, um, we've tried to approach it that way here. Like all the we've tr- we've done like renovations and trying to do things here. Um, this fellowship hall was uh, someone gave us enough money to be able to paint it and to buy some more tables and all of this is to position us to do some like some neighborhood community type things uh, to have a facility that can come to and we have everything that we need. Um, we're going to continue to live stream. Uh, these cameras and stuff are all ours now. Well, not the not the super nice ones, but the uh, the uh, this the still ni- nicer than we deserve ones uh, because someone gave us money so that we can continue to live stream so that that becomes a part of how we can like connect with people. Um, all these things that we're trying to do, um, money can open doors, but the the bottom line end of everything is this has to be a people driven world that we're in. Like this, it has to be because there are people on the other side of those cameras. There are people on the on the other side of all these things that we're trying to do. That it isn't a thing of like, why aren't the people coming? Because we're we, you know, we're we're ready for them, but they're not here. We have to go and invite them and be ready when they come. But everything has to be driven by people. It's not programs. It's not budgets. It's not uh, buildings. It's not any of that kind of stuff. Um, what they model for us is something so important that if the, at the end of the day, if all of the money went away and all the buildings like, like crumbled to the ground and we had nothing to offer anyone, we still have everything to offer them because of our faith. Because we have, we have Jesus. That's, that's what they need at the end of the day. It would probably behoove us to do more stuff that wasn't reliant on a budget. And was just reliant on the faith of the people to go and to bring Jesus as a solution to every problem that we have in, in our world. Um, there was a uh, a couple years ago at the at the Bowery Mission in New York, which is the oldest uh, homeless homeless mission in in Manhattan. Um, we were we were there on a mission trip, and you you have these two rooms that are next to each other. One is a one is a chapel that's been around since the, I don't know, 20s, 10s, whatever before is that. I'm not really sure. It's been around for a while. Very historic, very beautiful. Next to it, there's a cafeteria. And every day they serve, they serve three hot meals a day. And uh, if you, in order to eat, at the front of the line, you have to go to chapel. And so it fills up with homeless people. And there's a service, and then they file out, and they go through the line, and they get to eat. And then if people don't want to sit in chapel, they just have to go at the end. You know, they're not real legalistic about it. And 
So a couple of years took several of you uh, on mission trip uh, there, and uh, maybe the second or third year they said, "Hey, we need, we're we're doing a uh, we're doing a dinner for our donors tonight, and so we have to we have to get the chapel ready." And so we spent all day long. We took everything out of the chapel, and they like waxed the floors, and like we like scrubbed the walls, and uh, basically we tried to. Like just being very honest, we tried to make it smell clean because it was not, it was full of homeless people most, like three times a day at least, you know. Um, and so we're like cleaning everything. We're like scrubbing the walls. We're like, this feels weird, you know, like what's, why, why are we, why are we doing all this? And they bring in all these tables, all this catered food. And uh, then they, they get a couple of us and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do a coat check for tonight. And we're all like, that must be like a New York thing. Like in Louisiana, we don't, we wear coats like three days a year, you know? So, uh, coat check. Okay. And, and then they kind of give us a speech. They're like, look, these are like very expensive coats. And so we're going to be very particular about how we do this. And I didn't really understand. And it was until every, all the donors start coming in and it's like mink coat after mink coat after mink coat. And you're like, they're just like, they're dripping with with jewelry and like it's just like the, the all these wealthy super wealthy people. What they had us do though, this long, long story, you get to this one point. They they had us clean everything that they were going to see and touch, and like separate it from the ministry that they were like raising money for. And the attitude of the of the leadership there was basically like we don't really want them to see or touch or interact with any of the homeless community. We need them to come here, have a really like ritzy uh, time because these are the ones who keep the place going. But it needs to be pristine for them. Um, and they made us like we got to be waiters that night. We all had to like dress up, and it was. But it was just the weirdest dichotomy because in this room you've got these like millionaires, you know, and in this room you've got the poorest of the poor who are eating, and they made a lot of effort to keep them separate. And I've, I've thought about that so much, so much over the years about how easy it is to fall into that very trap where we just want to give the money, but we don't, we don't want to serve the people. We, we, we like the concept, but we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't, want to, we don't want to smell or touch or see things that are unpleasant to us. So we're just going to throw money at it and just kind of hope it trickles into the right places. Um, when we... When we look at how the church ministered, it's a reflection of how Jesus ministered. And uh, Jesus was like, well, we don't have money to feed everybody, so I'll just work a miracle to feed them. You know? We don't have any silver or gold to help this guy, but we can heal him. Uh, for you and I, um, as we are going about our lives, we, we have to be in a place where, where we're not so, uh, so comfortable and uh, just kind of in our in our own lane and have those blinders on and just trying to do our thing that we miss the people around us and we miss the opportunities that God puts in front of us uh, and i I am not i don 't say that in an accusatory way I, I say that it 's more of a, of a warning you know it 's more of a uh, hey we could we could fall into that pattern as Americans very very easily, and maybe some of us have. Um, and perhaps that 's a part of why God has given us the scriptures so we can look and we can say, oh yeah that that's what that's who we're called to be. Um, this is what we're called to walk in. 
as a congregation, this is this is the kind of church he's making us into. Um, so yeah, our tithing, that's going to open all kinds of doors, but it's not a situation where we just throw money at it and we kind of don't want to deal with the people side of it. We'd rather have no money and lots of people than lots of money and no and none of that people ministry. Now in America, in the, in the first world, God tends to do both, both of them. And that's kind of the approach we have to have is whatever resources God gives us, we're going to use them uh, and let him show us how to let that help us connect with the people. But this is a people thing. Um, not a, a field of dreams kind of thing. So, uh, two two quick takeaways. Number one, uh, that we would that we would pray and ask God to help us keep money from blinding us to His activity. When I say money, I'm talking about every, everything that comes with it. Just comfort, low risk, busyness, just the hurt, the hurriedness of life, all of it. Um, that God would, would not let that all that stuff blind us from the fact that he's connecting us to people all the time. Uh, and the second thing is that when we are praying for big things or small things or whatever it may be, that we would remember that he's, he's looking at our faith as well as those we're, that we're praying for. Um, that's not just contingent on them waking up. Uh, sometimes it's about our own, uh, our own faith being alert and strong in the right place. Um, so silver or gold, you might have it, you might not, but having Jesus is, that's enough. Like that's more, more than enough because of who he is. And so, uh, I hope that, that this can kind of like, we can kind of download this into us as we continue, continue forward as a church. Um, as we continue to, uh, to follow those doors he's opened, especially here in the neighborhood. Uh, so frustrating that we had all these things lined up and then COVID hit, but God, God's going to use all of it together somehow. We just don't see it just yet. Um, so let me pray for us. We'll sing a little bit, and we'll um, we'll close our, our time together. Father, I'm so thankful for Peter and for John in this story that that they were um, that they were not so caught up in their own schedule and their own hurriedness and whatever that they. I'm just thankful they didn't walk past this guy. That they were, that they, they sensed that you were, you wanted them to do something, and they had the courage to follow you into it, and and from that you did all these amazing things, and you know we just we know that we're still in formation, but I want I want to just ask you on behalf of all of us that you keep forming us into these kinds of people, that we're like good Samaritan type of people. Whether we have money or whether we have no money, that that's, that's irrelevant when it comes to the fact that we're interacting with, with your, your image bearers every day, your sons, your daughters. Uh, some, of them know they're your, <clears throat> some of them know they're yours and some of them don't. And so whatever, whatever this looks like, whatever our takeaways are, I pray, God, that you would encourage us down the path of righteousness. Um, I'm so thankful that these men modeled their ministry after your ministry Jesus and uh, we just need to do the same well, so thankful to know you Jesus and to uh, to be a part of this kind of heritage that this is what we've inherited um, from the saints that have gone ahead of us and this is what we are passing on to our kids 
just pray that it is all honoring to you as we join you in what you're doing in the earth. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.